Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Just a quick welcome to everybody who's joining us uh, digitally this morning, which is a whole lot of you. Um, but we are so grateful that you are here for those who are in the house physically. It's just so good to see you. Nobody got hurt by firework yesterday at all. My, my daughter had a little run-in with a, a sparkler, you know, one of those little sparkler things, but we're all okay, uh, thankfully, but glad you are here today. I want to say this, um, uh, thinking of the 4th of July, and how grateful I am to live in these United States of America. In an ever-darkening world, I think through the dream that, w- that declared its independence on July 4, 1776, The dream that is America, which remains still the brightest light that shines among the nation. Here's my prayer for our country. It's not just God bless America alone. But my prayer is this, that America will bless God again. As the psalmist says in Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So happy 4th of July, and Zach, I'm sorry, Zach and Ivanka live about five houses down for us, and li- I don't care who you are, don't shoot fireworks past 11 o'clock, right? Uh, the only recourse I had was to call the police on the guy, and make sure, no, I'm kidding, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Uh, I want to keep our family happy, but anyway, hey, listen, we are glad you are here today. Let, let me ask you a question. Hey, do you remember being in around third, fourth grade and falling in love do you remember the relationships that would come out maybe out of that season of your life when maybe you looked across the lunchroom and, and in my case, there'd be a young lady over there and just go, man, she's the one, right? You remember having those conversations? Maybe, just maybe too. Let me see if I can get this to work. Maybe you found yourself doing this at some point in those mature relationships back in third grade. You ready? You grab a flower like this one and just go, you know what? She loves me. She loves me not. And hoping that by the time you got the end of this poor flower, she loved you. Do y'all remember doing anything like that? Hey, let me ask you this. Do you remember this thing right here? Now, for those of you who are teenagers today, you don't remember these days. But I remember the fear, the excitement, the joy, the terror, the anxiety of passing a note to that girl in class. Hey, would the teacher find us out? Would somebody intercept the notes? And honestly, in all the poetry that you have in your heart and your life as a kid, here's what the note would read. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. Do you remember? I mean, I remember I sent hundreds of these things uh, back in the day. Man, I love Passing notes, and uh, you know, I think about that type of love and relationship. And you know what I think? That worked in the third grade. Here's the question I have this morning Is that how our love and our relationship with Jesus works today? You know, sometimes, believer, if we're not careful, I think we believe it works exactly the same. Now, as we continue our study in the book book of Philippians, as we continue to pursue joy in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of life, just like Paul does here in this letter, as we continue to celebrate Jesus as the center of our joy, our greatest joy, I ask this question. Can we really have joy in Jesus 
if we are constantly crippled by the questions of, am I saved? Am I a Christian? Can I lose? Have I lost my salvation? I I want you to hear me. As I've studied the Word of God, as I grow more and more in my faith in Jesus, I I believe that Jesus wants you and I to know, to have assurance of, to be convinced, to be certain that we are saved, we are His. And hear me, church, you ready? That we are saved and we are His forever. So today, two verses in Philippians. And let's let the freedom ring out for so many who struggle with doubting the truth that we are his in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Man, I'm paired back today. I won't even throw it up on the screen, hoping you have a copy of the Word of God or just trusting that I'm reading right from it. And it reads like this. Listen to Paul's encouragement to the church at Philippi, beginning in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, or my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out, he says, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work or to act for his good pleasure. Now, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, Pastor Randy, my pastor would always say, you got to ask the question, what's it there for? And what we find here is that Paul is connecting what he's teaching us right here. He's connecting it with his teachings and encouraging to the church in light of who Jesus is and the example that he lived out for you and for me. Paul is encouraging the church. Let's follow his example and let's live out our faith in our everyday lives. Continue to work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. And the question becomes, what? now wait a second, Pastor Andy, whoa. Work out my salvation? What? That doesn't sound right, does it, to you and to me? Because questions come like, how do I work for my salvation? Now, I want to caution you. I want us to be careful here just for a moment because it's important that we understand what Paul is saying and also what he's not saying. He didn't say, hey, continue to work for your salvation. He says, work out your salvation. And there's a big difference between two. Because here's the message, you ready? That Paul is conveying to you and I and to the church. For the believer, first, God does a work in us through his grace, through the gospel, the the good news of Jesus' finished work on the cross and his resurrection. And our response to what God has worked in us is to see that our salvation and our faith in Christ is worked out into every area of our hearts and lives. He's not talking about working for your salvation. We can't. But working out our salvation. Now, he says this with fear and trembling. And and I don't want you guys, I don't want this phrase to trip you up, this idea of fear and and trembling. You know, uh, me and my youngest daughter, Sadie, we have this thing that if you wake us up for any reason in the middle of the night, uncontrollably we shake. I mean, for minutes. And me and her both have it. If you wake me up, if maybe a text comes in at night, or 
for some reason, if you wake us up in a certain part of our sleep cycle, we will shake and tremble until our body stops doing it. It's just unbelievable. Is that the picture we're to have? Listen, I'm terrified of clowns. Is that how I should see my relationship through the eyes of fear with the Lord? Listen, that's not at all what Paul is conveying here. You ready? Fear, especially here in this New Testament context, speaks to an awe and a wonder, a reverence of God. Trembling in this context accompanies the overwhelming joy in response to what God has done. And both actions are done in humility to the worship and the praise and the honor and the glory of God. Now, Paul, as he writes this, he addresses the church as dear friends. Hey, hey guys, as he's writing this, these are people he loves, people that he knows, people that he's walked with, people that he cares about, and he says, dear friends. But I want you to notice who Paul's talking to here. He's not just talking to people who are maybe outside of the faith. He is talking specifically to believers who are already without a doubt in Christ. And how do we know this? Because we know their story. Think of this. You ready? There's Lydia, the wealthy seeker in Philippi. And listen to what the Bible says about her story in Acts chapter 16, verse 15. That the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after this, she was baptized in her household as well. Man, we know her story. God first worked in her heart, opened her heart to hear the gospel, and she was saved. Well, how do you know really she was saved? You see, we find Lydia working out her salvation in her life, as is evidenced by here her baptism. And this is evident by her bringing her family to Jesus, all proofs among many that she was saved and in Christ. How about the demon-possessed slave girl of Acts chapter 16, verse 18 in Philippi, when Paul would say to her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to the spirit that indwelled her, come out of her. And the Bible says, and it came out of her that very hour. And from there, this slave girl of Philippi that we're introduced to, she places her faith and her trust in Jesus, believed in him, and followed him. And how do we know it? Because we see her salvation working out in her life as well. Oh, and then there's the suicidal jailer of Acts chapter 16. Remember, God springs a prison break. Paul and Silas are now free, and the jailer, wanting to take his very life because prisoners are breaking free, was brought out to them and said this, Sirs, Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And listen to what they said. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. In verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. They shared the gospel with him. Verse 33, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that they had believed in God. They believed in him. God worked this jailer's salvation into his life, he believed in Jesus. Now, the word believe in the English language is, is pretty vague, right? Like, I believe in Santa Claus. I believe I can fly. I believe 
in Jesus. Man, it covers a whole host of things. But the word believe that we find time and time again in Acts and in the New Testament carries with it this idea. You ready? It speaks to the person who places their full trust, their full faith into Jesus, his finished work on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. It is the combination of both believing and repentance. Now understand, repentance literally meaning changing your mind, trusting in Jesus and not ourselves for salvation, turning from our sin and ourselves and pursuing Christ. That's what it looks like to believe. And as I think of the church of Philippi, I think of Lydia, I think of a slave girl, I think of the suicidal jailer, And guys, they believed. God was working in them, and they were working out their salvation in their lives. I thought of this just the other day, that Lydia and all of her wealth could not buy her salvation. The slave girl and all of her work could not earn her salvation. The suicidal jailer and all of his will could not save himself. You know what? They all realized they just couldn't save themselves. They heard the gospel. God worked it into their hearts, and they believed in Jesus and were saved. Hey, can I encourage you this morning? Hey, can I strengthen maybe your faith believer? And let's share two declarative statements about your salvation and mine. Hey, some truth that we can celebrate to get today. You ready? That God works in you and me means this. You ready? Now catch this, believer. You didn't save you. Jesus did. Hey, you couldn't save you. Only Jesus could. You know what? If you've been walking with Christ for any time, you know this to be true. And we cannot save ourselves from our own sin. We can't save ourselves from our sin nature. Hey, we can't save ourselves from the wrath of God as being poured out against our sin. Only Jesus can and only Jesus did. Now, here's what I want you to contemplate for a moment. If you didn't save you and Jesus saved you, then your salvation is not conditioned on your conduct. Rather, it is conditioned on the unconditional love and grace of Jesus. Therefore, our salvation is forever held in a love that is unconditional. And the truth of Romans chapter 8 rings out that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ to you. Hey, Anthony, but what about... Hey, Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. But, but, Anthony, let me, hey, hey, listen. <laughs> Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Another prison letter that Paul writes is to the church of Ephesus. And he wrote this and he said this in verse 8 of chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That word in the Greek means poem. We are are God's 
point being lived out. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that you and I could walk in them. You ready, church? Grab a hold of this. We are not saved by our works, but by the finished work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to works that God has prepared for us to do. God works his salvation in us, and we partner with him to work out our salvation into every area of our lives. You ready? You didn't save you. Jesus saved you. And it's all up to him. And you can count on him. Here's the second statement. You ready? Because God has worked his grace and the gospel and salvation in us. Hear me, church. Our salvation is settled and it is secured forever. Forever. I love the picture of Jesus as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So y'all need to jot this verse down. You need to memorize it. You need to know it. Listen to what it says here. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Verse 28, watch this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand unless they screw up. Unless they sin too much, unless they take a day off, unless they struggle, unless they have moments of weakness. Hey, by the way, none of those conditional clauses are in the Word of God. Listen to what he says again about you and me. I give them eternal life. They will never die, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all, and no one, emphatically, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You ready? No one, not Satan, not demons, no man, no machine, no bad moment, no weakness, not even you can take you out of the Father's hands. But, but, but Athe, what if nothing, no one can take you out of, but what if nothing, no one, hey, stop with the hypotheticals and take hold of your faith in Jesus Christ. The other night I was teaching my kiddos this, this principle in our Bible study, and I grabbed a coin and said, here's, here's how I want to show this to you. Ready? This coin right here is the most precious coin in all the coins that Daddy has. Really, this is a piece of pirate's treasure from Amazon. But anyway, they got the point, right? This is the most precious, right? Like I was reminding them of exactly how God sees them, that you are his prized possession, I was reminding them exactly what Scripture was saying. I said, here's what I want you to do. This is my most precious, prized treasure. I said, Daddy's going to put it right here in his hand. I went, Avery, get it out of my hand. And she tried. Chloe, come on. Hey, Sadie, your turn. Hey, Bennett, take this out of my hand. And then I said, you know what? Now all of you together. 
And all four of my kids were scratching and clawing and trying to bend back my fingers to get to my prized possession. And you know what? No amount of effort on their part could snatch it out of my hand. Then I begin to think of how imperfect and how weak that I am and how perfect and, all, and how all-powerful God is and the promise he gives to every believer that I give you everlasting eternal life, that you will never perish and that no one Snatch you out of my hand. And believer, you know what? I believe him. I don't understand it. But right now, my life and my salvation and my heart are in his hands. And there's nothing I can do or anyone else can do. That can snatch me out of my father's hands. Reminds me of the Hebrews passage. For he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you unless you really sin really bad, right? And by the way, define that line for me in scripture. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you unless you know what? You're not as good as that other person. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you unless... Unless you give in to these sins over here. Nowhere do we find the conditionality of clauses tied to a passage of Scripture like Hebrews. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Believe. Hey, but Anthony, you're tell- what if, what if, you ready? Throw down the hypothetical. And take hold of your faith and the promises of God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, says the Lord. Now, in all this conversation of what God has worked in us and what we are working out of our salvation in our hearts and in our lives, in every area of our hearts and our lives, I believe this, that every Christian ought to come with a warning label. You ready? And here it is. Caution, you and I, as long as we have breath, you and I, we are works in progress. And we will be as long as we are on planet Earth. We are works in progress. Yes, listen to me. Jesus has saved us from the penalty of our sin, but he is also actively saving us from the power of sin in our every day. And praise God, one day he'll save us even from the very presence of sin. But we have got to understand this, that every single one of us are a work in progress. We are not perfect, We have not yet arrived spiritually. We still struggle and we still sin at times. And sometimes I'm afraid that we forget that we are still works in progress. And that leads to seasons of undue doubt, debilitating doubt in our hearts and our lives. We are 
all works in progress. Now, as we do that, I want us to look at the word works here in Scripture. That's going to make a loud noise. No, not too bad. I want to look at the words works here because sometimes we get these confused. I think of verse 12 and Paul says this, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You know that word work out was used by the Romans to describe what it was for someone to go into a mine and to completely work that mine out of every precious stone and out of every precious treasure until the work was done. That was the picture that you were to work a mine. When he says work out, that's what the Romans used. The picture they painted was you're to work this mine until every precious stone, every treasure has been unearthed, has been discovered, has been seen. And you know what? That's the very invitation that Paul gives to every believer, that you and I are to work out our salvation. You ready? That you and I are to hunt for. We are to unearth. We are to dig up. We are to enjoy every joy, every treasure of our salvation. Hey, by the way, as long as we are here on earth, you and I will never exhaust the incredible joy, the treasure of our salvation, the joy that we find in Jesus. But the challenge still exists. Guys, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to uncover all the joys, the treasures of our faith, of our salvation, our joy in Jesus. And you ready? We don't stop doing so until we're at home with the Lord. In verse 13, again, we find this word work. Remember, for it is God who works in you and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Now, there's a different word in the Greek here for the word work. It's where we get our word energy from. You know what it says? That God continues to give energy. And it really paints the picture that God is active in giving us both the energy and the enablement to work out our salvation. Guys, you ready? We're not alone in all this working out of our salvation. But you may say, well, Pastor, anything, listen, all of that is good. But at the end of the day, how do I know that I'm his? How do I know that I'm really saved? Hey, can I give you two vital signs real quick? These are, these are truths that I remind myself of in my life, in seasons of doubt. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt or sensed the Lord at work in your heart, drawing you to himself? And in response, you believed in Jesus. Has there been a time in your life where you as a sinner cried out to Jesus, the Savior to save you? Where you placed your, your faith and your trust in him? If you're sitting here today and go, yes, Anthony. And some of you may say, I've done that 100,000 times. But let me, let me tell you this, once is enough. But let me also share this with you. These are signs not of a dead person spiritually, but a person made alive in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Do you have the desire to know God more? To love Jesus more? Do you dread the sin in your life? 
Do you desire to follow Jesus more? Guys, these are not signs. These desires are not signs of a person who is dead spiritually, but a person made alive in Christ. And Romans 7 bears that out. Go home and read that. Teaches as much, Paul does. Be encouraged. You ready, church? A desire to know Jesus more. To love Jesus more and to follow Jesus more. As I heard one preacher once say, is this is the first echo of a heart awakened to God and made alive in Christ. But Athe, what do I do when the doubt comes? What, what do I do when, when I just I struggle in seasons of doubt? If I'm really his or not, you ready? Determined to live by faith. And not by feeling. You ready? When doubt comes, examine your heart and life. Are you working out your salvation each day in every area of your life? Is there unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin in your life? Are you spending time with Jesus? Can I tell you what I know to be true? I doubt the most when I spend time with him the least. I doubt the most. When I spend time with him the least. I love what J.D. Greer, he has a great book, by the way. If you struggle grabbing hold of who you are in Christ and whether or not you're saved, he has a book entitled, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. It's really good. He, he talked about that as a young man, that he prayed a prayer at every religious gathering in several different denominations across many different states. And he struggled with knowing he was in Christ. But listen to what he says. Faith is not an absence of doubt. It is continuing to follow Jesus in the midst of doubt. Anthony, what do I do in seasons of doubt? Continue to follow Jesus with everything you have. You ready? He loves me. He loves me not. Jesus loves me. He loves me not. It was never the intention of God for his children. Let me challenge you in this, believer. You ready? Put down the flower. And pick up your faith. He loves you. Period. There's no question. You know, I think of my, my three daughters and my boy. Oh, and Walt, a little girl. Y'all get to have a little girl. I'm so excited for you guys. I, I think of them. Walt, what kind of dads would we be if we looked at our kids? I said, you know what? I love you and I'll always be your dad if you work hard enough to be my child. Brian, what kind of dads would we be if we said, you know what? I love you. I'll always be your dad, but uh, if you mess up, I'm done with you. Trinity, what kind of dads would we be if we looked at our children and said, I love you, I'll always be your dad. But the truth is, is that if you mess up even this much, 
You're not mine anymore. See, the truth is we wouldn't be good dads at all. But the God we serve is a good, good father. And he never, ever does his kids that way. Never does his kids that way. You know what it's time for us to do, believers, as we work out our salvation? It's time for you and I to stop passing notes in our faith. And it's time that we stick to the promises that accompany your salvation and mine in the word of God. Your salvation is, content, is conditioned. Watch this, you ready? It is conditioned not on you, but on the unconditional love of the Father in Christ Jesus. Your salvation and mine is settled and it is forever secured in Christ. Stop passing notes. Start sticking to the promises of God's word. Max Lucado wrote a definition of the love of God. I want to share it, to you, share it with you as we close. He said this, you ready? I think this illustrates perfectly Philippians 2, 12 and 13. God loves you just the way you are. Oh, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. God loves you just the way you are. If you think his love for you would be stronger, if your faith were, you are wrong. If you think his love would be deeper, if your thoughts were, wrong again. Don't confuse God's love with the love of people, he writes. The love of people often increases with performance and decreases with mistakes. Not so with God's love. He loves you right where you are. God's love never ceases, never, though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him. He will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love any more than our goodness can increase it. Our faith does not earn it any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God does not love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. And so believer, continue to work out the salvation that God has worked in you. The fear, the wonder and the awe and the reverence of God and with trembling that comes from the overwhelming joy of all that Christ has done for you and for me. Let's pray Thank together. you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.